Awesome. Well, today we are making a little bit of a transition. We have been in the beginning part of Matthew over the, over the first week. You can see that on your course outline. Uh, we covered the first four chapters last week, and now we're making a transition into that first discourse, first narrative section. So the first block of teaching that Jesus has with that discourse, and then the narrative section of what Jesus will be doing. What are some of those things that Matthew is recording for us? Well, and, and, and as we make this transition, there's kind of a key question that um, is going to be brought up for us through this sermon, through this uh, special narrative um, that we're going to look at as well. Um, and really, it's what is the way to happiness, right? What is the way to true blessing? You, you think about, even in our own country, we have this phrase, you know, the pursuit of happiness that everyone is entitled to, right? And everyone is looking for, hey, what's really life? Is it, you know, life at the lake? Or is it, hey, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Is it in stuff? Or is it in money, right? In the comfort of having enough resources to be able to retire and not worry about the economy and, you know, that is, those types of things. Hey, where is true life to be found? Well, the Jews in that day, and as we talked about last time, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. The Jews in that day understood that true happiness was to be found in the kingdom, right? And they had different ways of bringing in that kingdom. The Pharisees, they would seek to bring in that kingdom by going back. Hey, the kingdom hasn't come because you guys haven't gone back and studied the law. You guys don't understand it, and therefore the kingdom hasn't come. So we're all in this mess because of you guys. You need to line up with us. You need to start doing what we're doing. And then finally, we can all be happy and blessed. Um, the Sadducees, however, they were like, we need to find everything we can now. They're more like modern America. Get what you can, right? Um, and they were very focused on the present, um, getting what they could to make themselves happy, right? Very um, different focus, but um, also that was their attempt to try to get the kingdom. And there were other groups too, like the Essenes who were like, hey, let's get away from everyone. Let's just form a community, a commune together. Um, the Zealots who were like, hey, let's overthrow the Rome, Roman government and try to take them down from the inside. Um, but th those are some different ways. What is the real path to happiness though? With all these different ideas floating around, how do we really get the kingdom? Well, uh, notice with me in Matthew chapter 1, or chapter 5 rather, in verse 1 here. Seeing the crowds, um, he went up, up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's really two kind of major uh, audiences here. And, and one that he's really focusing in on. There's the crowd. They're, they hear about uh, Jesus' teaching. They hear about what's going on. Um, but they're not the intended audience here, um, right? Uh, they're the disciples. He opened his mouth and taught them in verse 2, saying he's intending this for the disciples. And that's very important because you can be on the outside and hear about the real way to happiness but not be able to actually walk down that path. There's only one way to happiness. Um, it is through God. God is the one who is perfectly blessed, perfectly happy within himself. In fact, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He is the blessed one, the happy one, and he is the one who can dispense that blessing, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Right? That is the real way to happiness. And so if you're part of the crowd, you're not one of his disciples, these commandments, yes, they're the path to happiness, but you can't get there apart from the Lord, apart from the way that he has just paved. Right? Think about what our Lord has done where everyone else has failed, right? In the wilderness, everything we were talking about last week with withstanding that temptation. If you are one of those, though, who have repented and turned, 
you are now behind him in the path that he is paving forward. And you can partake in these things that we're going to be looking at today and that true happiness and blessing. So that's an important distinction to understand. This is for the disciple. This is for those who have put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so Jesus sees these crowds and he takes this stance as a teacher. And it's important to see this connection. Remember those three people we listed last week, David, Moses, Abraham. This is his mosaic stance, right? He is the teacher who's going to sit and teach the kingdom's commandments to the people. And we're going to get to see what those are. He opened his mouth and taught them saying, first of all, blessed are those who take everything they can for themselves, right? The Sadducees route. Or blessed are those who um, do the law, right? Who keep the law and therefore can bring in the kingdom. No, no, what does he say? He said, blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not something you do. It's something you are, right? It's not something you can gain by enough works or enough deeds. You can't get to happiness by working hard enough or trying hard enough. No, it's by something you are. It's by something that's been transformed within you. And guys, that's what we see here is blessed are the poor in spirit. Not those who think they have it all together. Blessed are those who see that they're impoverished. And the word here, uh, patohos, is actually this impoverished state that can't do anything for itself. This isn't just, hey, day to day, you know, paycheck to paycheck. This is, hey, you can't actually do this on your own. This is often used of beggars, people who are at the mercy of someone else in order to get what they needed. And blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are recognizing their own impoverished state, who see that they can't do it on their own. They cannot muster enough strength to be able to meet the law or the standards. They can't muster enough strength to make themselves happy on their own. Blessed are these people who are poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? So Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have that key, right, to be able to walk into that door of happiness. And notice, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? They have that to come. Why? Because they see their poverty. And guess what? As we saw from our Lord's heart in the first four chapters, he loves to come to those people, right, and to help them. And we're going to see that more next week. Um, but he comes and he helps them, right? And what does this poorness in spirit um, yield to in their life? Blessed are those who mourn, right? Those who are crying. Um, James, Jesus' half-brother, um, came by and said in, in uh, James chapter 4, um, mourn, right? Um, be, be mournful and um, rend your garments, right? And guess what? God will come to you, right? God will, um, as you humble yourself under God, guess what? He will um, come to you. And guess what? That is exactly what we see here. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Mourning over their sin, mourning over their impoverished state before the Lord. Guess what? They will be comforted. They will be comforted. God is in the business of taking those who are low, those who are despised, and bringing them in and, and loving them and comforting them. And this is a poorness in spirit. This is a mourning over sin. And this is what our Lord will do. He will comfort them. And guess what? If you have been comforted in this way, if you have seen that, right? If you are in fact poor in spirit and have mourned over your sin, how are you going to be towards other people? Some of Jesus' parables are going to unpack these details more. And even we're going to see some of those come out in the Sermon on the Mount today. But um, his 
um, all of that leads us to a meekness, right? A, a power under control. We're not going to go throwing our weight around, right, um, on other people when we have been so gifted and so graciously forgiven and so um, graciously given everything we need, right? Every spiritual blessing to us who are begging poor, impoverished in spirit. Guys, we're going to be meek. And think about our Lord's example too. Just a chapter earlier, he had that complete power to be able to turn that bread, right? And, and to eat it for himself. He could have taken any of those rocks and made whatever feast he wanted to, but instead he put that power under control. Not because he needed something, but because we did, right? Not because he needed righteousness, but because we did. And he was fulfilling all those things on our behalf, like we talked about last week. He had that perfect power under control. And guess what? Those who are impoverished in their spiritual state and who recognize it, who cry out to the Lord for repentance and forgiveness, right? For those who are um, mourning over their sin, who are comforted, who are given that gift of eternal life, guess what? They start becoming like their Lord. And they are meek. And guess what? The Lord will inherit the whole earth, right? That is his rightful possession, as we saw last week. Guess what will happen to these disciples as well? As they follow the Lord, they too will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, right? Blessed are you guys if you are desiring more and more things of the Lord, right? As you taste of these things, as you start enacting these things in your life, you are going to get a hunger and a thirst for more of those things, right? And you guys probably have seen this throughout your Christian life, that desire to get into the Word, the desire to do the Word as well, and to put it into practice in your life. And guess what? If you've done that, you know true satisfaction. This is such an elusive thing in our world. And what we have here in being able to follow the king in his footsteps, that is huge, guys. It, it is a commodity that people are after, right? No millions of dollars can give you satisfaction. No amount of power or fame from this world can give you true satisfaction. But what we have right here, this gives you true satisfaction, knowing and doing the word, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus accomplished ultimately on our behalf. As we follow him, guess what? There is true life. There is true satisfaction. There is true blessing. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right? We talked about this a little bit earlier um, with, the, with the meekness as well. Uh, but this is really important, and we're going to see it come out again and again through more parables as well. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? How many of us are 100% pure in heart, um, right? If we really see, see where we were, right, with that um, with that poor in spirit, right? We know our need. We, we sense that. But guess what God does with us when we're in that poor, impoverished state? He gives us a new heart, right? And a new spirit that is 100% right in his sight. And even though we still struggle with sin, guys, we stand before our God pure, right? And we can be with him. We can interact with him. We can come before his throne, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, right? We can have that. We have that close relationship in Christ because of what he has done for us. And also this motivates us too. 1 John uh, chapter 3 talks about how those who are pure um, or have this hope rather of seeing Jesus purify themselves for he is pure, right? So there's this desire to become more and more like our Lord, right? Not perfectly, progress, not perfection, but um, we have that. It's who we are and we get to become 
who we are, right? More and more this side of glory. Till that day when we will be fully pure as we stand in his sight. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When you have this peace with God, right? This face-to-face, this seeing God, guess what? You want that for other people too. Telling others about the Lord so they could too have peace with God, um, right? Being justified with faith, by faith, right? We have peace with God. It is an awesome reality that the Lord has accomplished on our behalf, and we desire that for others and even within the church too, right? Um, if there's any sort of wrongs done, We'll get to this later in Matthew as well, but I'm going to that brother, right, and being reconciled with him and that peace that we can have with God. And guess what? If you start living this way, if you're desiring for other people to have peace with God, maybe sharing the gospel with others, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, that impoverished spirit, right, that is satisfied now in the Lord. If you start living this way, you're going to be persecuted, right? You're going to start looking different and, and the world will see that. And guess what? Even in the midst of that persecution, blessed are you, right? Happy are you, truly blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? You don't have a kingdom that's of this world, right? We look forward to the one to come, to the one to come. And that is completely different than what their understanding was of the kingdom. They thought the kingdom was all the praise and glory for them, right? Because they're the ones keeping the law and the Messiah is going to come in and say, hey, you guys are doing great. Keep it going. But no, he puts the finger right on their pulse of their spiritual disease, right? He knows who they are, that they are poor, that they are impoverished. And blessed are those who recognize that about themselves instead. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Right? For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? That, that is characteristic of God's people through the ages, um, is to have this type of persecution in a fallen world. And that may be coming for us. Right? We've been blessed in a lot of ways to live here in America and to not have quite as close to that persecution, but we can see the world changing. Right? Um, this might be us soon, and this is the time to stop and say, hey, blessed are us if we encounter that persecution, right? Happy are we because we're getting to be like our Lord, right, in different ways. Um, this, is, this is the time to think through that and to, to put that to practice in our lives. So we can see here, um, right here, the salt and light, right? Um, the salt and light that we are to have, um, the distinction that we're to have in this world. Um, the salt of the earth, right? Jesus draws this um, parallel with something they were very familiar with. This was a pre-refrigerator day. Um, and how would you preserve anything? You'd have to salt it, right? Um, and salt is very valuable for that reason. Um, but if it's lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? You can't do it other than throw it out, right? That's all it's good for and to be trampled by people's feet. Are you distinct from this world, right? Is this who you are? Is this the type of person you are? Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples, those who have repented and turned to him, right? And he's instructing them on what it really means to be this kingdom citizen. It's distinct from this world, the light of the world, right? And, and this is to be publicized. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? So again, why are you this way, Christian? Why are we distinct? Why are we different? It's so that we can shine to others, right? Um, God has made you this way for a purpose, 
so that we can show that light to the darkening world around us. Remember what we saw just a few moments ago where um, in uh, last week with the light, right, shining into the darkness, how our Lord came from the north, right, and was in conquest, taking over more and more of Israel, right, in, in a spiritual sense. And that is to be us too, right, to shine our light. Let it be seen by those around us. Um, and, and here we see that Jesus has not come to abolish the law of the prophets, right? Um, so, so this commandment, these things that he's teaching come from so much of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and he is bringing them to their fulfillment as well. He's taking them and bringing them a step further. And that is what Jesus is showing here. He's not come to abolish, but he's come to fulfill, right? That, that is critical to understand here. Um, the Old Testament wasn't wrong. It pointed forward to Christ, right? Pointed forward to him. And he's showing, hey, I am that fulfillment. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not an iota will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and mark this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is, this is hard to do. They spent their entire life, their full-time job, in a sense, was keeping the law. You know, imagine trying to do better than the Pharisees. Right? It seems impossible. But that's part of the point here that Jesus is trying to draw them to. They're impoverished in spirit. They need who? They need the king. Right? They need Jesus. And that is part of the thrust here. And we're going to see later, too, because, hey, not just anger on the outside, not just murder, right? Um, but even that internal boiling anger can um, make you liable to hellfire, right? How many of us have been angry, right? Everybody, every single person has been angry. And so here we go. Everyone, okay, has sinned, right? And this is that Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's some wisdom for us, though, too. And we're going to get into some discussion once we finish Matthew 5 here. Um, in that context, it's kind, of, yeah. it's kind of, if you just take that statement, it's, you know, it doesn't tell you the whole gospel. It's just mm. it's setting the foundation. So if people who actually listen to that and walked away, they're like, wow, it's kind of a depressing thought. It is. <laughs> Especially divorced from his context, like you're saying, Tim. Yeah, for sure. It is, Absolutely. And, you know, here's, here's what he's calling them to do. Remember, he's kind of directing this to the disciples. Um, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to the guard, to the court. At least your accuser hand you over to the judge, right? You know, it's more important here to worship uh, or rather, instead of going to worship, right, be reconciled with your brother first internally. Um, that, that's a big one for us. You know, if someone has something against us, trying to go to them. I had to do this once. Um, I was reading this passage and felt convicted, and I needed to call someone up. Sometimes it's a phone call, right, or something along those lines. I didn't really want to make that phone call, but, you know, it, it is good and it is right um, for us to do that. And um, all that to say, we need to be reconciled to people, right? And so that is, that is part of it, is in as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, right, as Romans tells us. So not just anger, but also lust. Um, you shall not commit adultery, right, is the commandment you've heard. Um, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? Here is a, another broad category, right, for us to think about that involves all of us. Any lustful look, 
right, is the same as adultery. Again, this is driving us to our need for our Savior, right? If it's divorced from that context, it is completely condemning, right? We're going to end up in hell, um, right, apart from all of, um, apart from our Lord and what he's able to do um, for us. And again, he's going against what they say with divorce as well. Whoever divorces his wife, let her give her a certificate of divorce. And the Jews took this and they said they could divorce their wife for any reason, right, for any cause. But I say to you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery as well. So again, Jesus is going back to the heart of the law, the fulfillment, right? Other than the things that they had heard that really drew them away from the heart of the law, he is showing them, hey, no, that is not how it was meant to be. What about oaths? Um, You should not swear falsely. Because in that day, you could say, hey, I'm swearing by the temple. I will repay you, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, they'd say, why didn't you repay me? Well, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple, right? And, you know, they made all these loopholes and stuff, ways they could get out of oaths. But here, it's not that way, right? Let your yes be yes or your no be more. Anything more than this comes from evil. Um, So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, um, right? That's kind of the idea. Hey, you take something from me, I'm going to take it from you back. But not if you're poor in spirit, not if you've been given all of this, right? Um, Instead, um, don't resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also, right? If anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Again, the priority is not on stuff. We're going to see this more in the next chapter. Um, But the priority is on uh, obeying the Lord, right? The source of everything. Uh, It's on obeying him and seeking to be like him, right? In everything we do, love your enemy and seeking the best for those people. Um, so instead of hating your enemy, right, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven, right? He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He loves, believe it or not, in a common grace way, all of us, right? And we are to have that love towards the other people, right? And here's really what, what all of this is summing up to in verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? This is that tall order, right? You want to try to keep the law? This is what you have to do. Jesus is saying, you know, forget about all these commandments and all these other things that the Pharisees are building around the law. No, this is the standard, right? Is perfection. How are you able to meet that? And sure, it's like jumping the Mississippi. Maybe some of us will get a little further than others, but it doesn't matter. We'll all end up in the bottom, right? None of us can meet this standard except for the one, right? The king, the one who's giving these commandments. Because in addition to giving these commandments, we have to think about the one who is giving them, right? Um, The source of these commandments, right? He is the only one who's able to transform us and to make us into this person, this type of person, right? Who can be truly happy and blessed. So now for the, for your outline, um, we're going to have to have to go a little bit faster for the, for the other ones, but uh, who the kingdom citizen is, is the first blank on your outline. Um, so that's what um, we're discovering in chapter five is who the kingdom citizen is. And the kingdom citizen ultimately is like their king. Think about how each of these different things are like um, the, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Ultimately leading up to this perfection, right? Um, so he is guiding them along that path towards Christ's likeness, towards his likeness. Um, so the kingdom citizen is like their king. 
And the discussion question for us now is how do you see the king making you more like him? Right? Obviously, it's progress, not perfection in our lives. We're seeing these kind of things come and maybe take root further and further, that poverty in spirit, some of these um, components we've been talking about throughout chapter 5. But what are some of these things that you've been seeing in your own life, how the king is molding you and shaping you and making you more and more this way? Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. Hmm. Eager to come to church, eager to learn, eager to write notes and look at my Bible. I would have never done that before I was a believer. Hmm. Sunday mornings were for sleeping in and going for a run. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't for uh, you know, sitting under teaching and, and submitting myself to under that teaching. Hmm. So, How did you become that way? Do you work hard enough to just go to church enough times to... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who mm. made me that way. I was kicking and screaming to him, mm. but yet, um, but God, mm. through his scripture, uh, through his word, through faithful servants who read their word and wanted and desired to be this and were humble and um, were loving and Awesome. Yes, Steve. I would say the uh, for me uh, being poor in spirit is something that uh, really has you know helped me so much. You know, not so much that I am a beggar and you know absolutely depend on you to to feed me, but in the context of just the experience in life, um, we lost our son Jack. 
that, Marv? Yeah, that, when, when you see, when you think of a king from an earthly perspective, you are, historically, you must submit to the king. Hmm. And it, most of the time it's done in earthly history, forcefully. Hmm. Submission to the king. You must obey the king. This king wants us to willfully submit mm. to him. Mm. And when we willfully submit to the king, and we look at all these other beatitudes, mm. all of these things, well, I, I always go to, and, and you'll be getting to it, but uh, in chapter 6, verse 19, it mm. talks about treasures. And mm. verse 20, verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm -hmm. I still remember from Saturday morning Bible study, Pastor Jerry, 20 some odd years ago, on that verse, because it really hit me hard, Pastor Jerry said, what that verse means is that you will give the priority to whatever you value the most. Mm -hmm. And it really caused self-reflection in me, what is my treasure? Mm -hmm. And when you make Jesus the king your treasure hmm. and willfully submit to Jesus the king, hmm. all of this earthly stuff hmm. seems to take care of, truly hmm. submit, hmm. all of this earthly stuff seems to just kind of take care of itself hmm. give you context and give you joy and completely change your relationship with others. Hmm. Awesome, Marv awesome yeah that's a great segue into into chapter six and so we're, we're going to go ahead and look at that together and um so yeah with with chapter six uh, we're going to be looking at so for your blanks on the outline how the kingdom citizen lives and really uh even like marv was saying there the kingdom citizen lives for their king that's the next blank how the kingdom citizen lives well the kingdom citizen lives for their king uh, so, and, and throughout this, we see that ultimately that giving to the needy, you know, that we see right at the beginning here, it's not for um, their own uh, glorification, right? It's not for a sounding a trumpet and saying, hey, look what I'm doing. Um, instead, it is uh, for um, that person's benefit, really, and the glory of God, right? That's how the real kingdom citizen lives, why they've already earned that righteousness before God. Um, they don't need to accumulate those things from people, right? To feel some pats on the back. No, they've already got that from God. They don't need anything more, right? And so really this is living for the king, right? Um, he assumes that you're giving to the needy, um, but instead this is giving in secret, right? Um, and instead of already receiving the reward, uh, not letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing, right? Our father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, and then in addition to that, we've got the Lord's prayer here, right? Um, which is very much along the lines of what Marv was just describing for us, um, where you see instead of this public praying, right, for people, for people to see and to say, oh, look how good this guy is at praying. Instead, notice what this is instead of empty phrases either. Um, this is um, your father who knows what you need before you ask him. So how are you to pray? Well, this is a kingdom first type of mentality, right? This is um, a God first, living for him type of prayer that's pouring out of this soul 
from the citizen who has been given everything he needs from Christ. Um, our Father in heaven. Notice that close relationship, right? To call God your Father, remember, when Jesus does this, he is like, you know, hey, they're like ready to stone him, right? This is a close relationship that we have with the real Father through the Son. And so this is an intimate prayer. Our Father in heaven, right? Acknowledging his rightful position, his position over everything, his sovereignty over it all already knows what we need before we even ask him his omniscience, right? Our Father in heaven, what is the first thing that comes out of mouth? You know, please, Lord, help my ailments. You know, please help me to feel better. Or um, is it, Lord, please let me get this job. Not that any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but in this model prayer, right, we have a priority placed here. Hallowed be your name, right? Let it be revered. Let it be set apart. Let people see it as holy. And guess what? That day is coming, right? We know what Isaiah saw in that throne room, right? That he would be that holy, holy, holy one who's one day the earth will be full of his glory, right? One day everything will be that way, right? Oh Lord, let that happen, right? That let your name would be exalted, that you'd be holy, and when will this happen? Well, it's that day that Peter tells us to put our hope fully on, right? That revelation of Jesus Christ, First Peter 1, or chapter 1, verse 13. But your kingdom come, right? When his kingdom comes, right? That is the desire of our hearts, that his kingdom would come so his name would be holy. Right now, it's taken in vain, right? His kingdom hasn't come yet. Right now, people are doing all sorts of things that affront him, right? But one day that will not be so. His name will be revered as holy. And everywhere on earth, look at this, your will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. One day that will be reality. We get to look forward to that. Pray this way. Lord, please bring your kingdom soon that your name would be exalted, right? That your will would finally be done here on earth as it is in heaven. My wife and I, we just watched the Sound of Freedom movie, and you just see the nastiness going on in this world, um, the disgusting um, perversions that are going on. His will is not done on earth yet, as it is in heaven. The kingdom is yet to come, and we ought to be those who pray, your kingdom come, right? That his name would be holy, that it would be revered. And then he lays the request, right? Um, even as Marv was just saying, everything else takes care of itself, right? Look at this. Give us this day our daily bread, right? <laughs> the things that we need day in and day out. Don't just plan, you know, months, years in advance. Although, you know, sometimes that can be wise. Don't let that become your all-consuming focus, right? Where it's all about, hey, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't get so zoomed in on those things, right? Instead, watch those things take care of themselves. Make wise decisions. But Notice this prayer here, it's give us this day our daily bread, right? Um, where does that come from? Where does that provision come from? It doesn't come from just your paycheck, right? Your paycheck comes from your boss who comes from, you know, you draw it back far enough, that all comes from his hand, right? Every good gift comes from the Father of lights, right? With whom there's no shifting shadow. Give us this day our daily bread. See everything you have as coming right from him, right? Um, that is the reality that we see every moment. Forgive us our debts, right? Um, we ought to have that attitude before the Lord. Please forgive me, right? That poorness in spirit, 
Um, right? And remember what 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, guess what? He is faithful and right because of what he's done on the cross to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And look at this too. You know, obviously if we've been forgiven so much, guess what? You're going to be that type of person who forgives your debtors, right? Um, you're not going to be that servant who is forgiven that debt of, you know, 10,000 talents, billions of dollars, and then goes out against the person who's done something bad to you, you know, $20,000 or so. It's a, it's a big amount, a hundred, you know. Um, but anyway, he's, you know, choking that servant. No, you're going to be that type of servant who forgives, right? Um, if you really see what you've been forgiven. Um, and you can come before the Lord and ask him to forgive you. And guess what? He's faithful and right to do so. Notice this last request here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Instead of, um, instead of being tempted to the point of failure, right? Um, 1 Corinthians um, tells us in chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overcome us. That is not common to man, right? But God is faithful and will provide a way of escape for us, right? Because remember what he just did in the last couple chapters ago. He overcome that temptation perfectly on our behalf. Right? He was the one who was able to succeed where we failed. And he can lead us right away from that temptation. We are able not to sin because he never sinned. We are able to bear fruit for righteousness because he did that perfectly on our behalf. Right? Um, but deliver us from evil. Right? Isn't that your desire? Right? Oh, Lord, that I be delivered from this bondage to my flesh. Right? Even as Paul talks about, or as we might, you know, in Romans 7, we can relate with that, that struggle we still have with sin. Right? Pray that before God. Deliver me from this evil. Right? And guess what? God has that power you need to be able to withstand. Right? We can't be strong in our own might. Right? Ephesians tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Go to him in prayer and ask him for that strength we need to be delivered from evil. And guess what? As we continue to see this, hey, you know, if you're forgiving other people their trespasses, that shows the reality that your heavenly father has forgiven you, right? It's not just like, I'm going to forgive so I can earn forgiveness. No, it's, hey, I forgive because I have forgiveness, right? Because you have been forgiven. Again, this is who you are, not just what you're doing, but who you are manifests itself in these types of fruits, these types of prayers. Again, not fasting to look good in front of other people, right? It's fasting to be close to your father, right, who's in heaven. That dependence you have on food, that hunger you feel in your belly reminds you of reality that you need the Lord so desperately, right, for every bite, for every sip of water and draws you close to him, right? And that is really what it's all about. Um, it's, it's about being close to the father and your father who sees in secret will reward you reward you. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, right? Where is that storehouse that Marv was just talking about? Is your bank that you're pouring your whole life into just a physical bank where moth and rust destroy, where thieves could break in and steal? Or is your treasure in the imperishable of doing the will of the Father, right? And seeking to please him with each step, right? This shows where your heart is, right? Um, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. No, you're fine. Thanks. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Isn't that our point? You got it? Um, no, I did not. Okay. Yeah, sorry. 
Sorry, we did not take the chicken out of the oven. So, yeah, we, we might have uh, some of our possessions burning down as we speak. So, thank you, Callie. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's great to have a helper. So, <laughs> we appreciate that you were making chicken for us. Right. <laughs> Two chicken breasts, you know, I was hoping the Lord could multiply them. And yeah, I don't know. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Exactly, that's probably what we'll have. Thankfully, mom has some quiche over there, so yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, you know, again, you know, there's maybe my house is burning down, but I don't know. <laughs> and all that to say, like, hey, you know, where is, I, I know, let, let's just take that through for a moment. You know, let's say my house is burning down. And, <laughs> you know, I would know, <laughs> right, right, be careful. But I would know that you guys, you know, this church family would take care of me. Why? Not because you guys are so great, because right. he is. I have to cook at Jerry's house. So. <laughs> Though I've heard some burnt offering stories, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, but anyway, why should I be anxious, right? You know, about anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about, you know, my life, what I'll eat or drink, about my body, what I'll put on. Is not life more than food? Right, it matters more than food. Body is more than clothes. Things that could burn right now, and one day will. You know, that's guaranteed. One day my house will burn down. So, you know, it's now or later. And look at the birds of the air. <laughs> they neither sow nor reap, right, or gather into barns. Yet what happens to them? You know, you still see them at your house the next day. Maybe you're feeding them, but ultimately that comes from our Father, right? Heavenly Father. And are not you of more value than they? And how could you add a single hour to your span of life, right? You can't by any sort of anxiety. So why do it? You know, look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. And I'm sure you guys have seen this. You know, think about your life and all the anxiety maybe you've had. Um, I've had it too. And did that do any good, right? It didn't accomplish a thing, right? All of it comes from his hand for us. Yeah. And the lilies of the field, right? Solomon in all his glory, the richest man who ever lived, was not arrayed like one of these lilies. He just receives what they need from the Lord so clearly. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, right? How can we continue in our little faith, right? We, we know we still have little faith, but, you know, step out of the muck of this world, right? The things that the American culture says you need to prioritize, right? That's not the priority. The priority is his kingdom. That is that sure foundation to build your life on, which we'll get to in just a bit. Um, but seek first the kingdom of God, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be added to you. Sufficient is one day for its own trouble, right? This is so helpful for us to see. Just focus on today, right? Focus on today. God will provide. Awesome. Well, for the discussion on chapter 6, so the next blank on your outline there, it is, um, so how is your life becoming more and more about his kingdom, right? How is your life becoming more about his kingdom? 
So in light of everything we've been talking about, right, how it's all about really God and his kingdom at the end of the day, how, is, how do you see your life? It's kind of similar to the last question, but just a little bit more dialed in. How is your life becoming more about his kingdom? Yeah, Kurt. I think this in connection with the previous question, Marv was talking about an earthly king and being forced into submission. Mm-hmm. And I think all kings, even earthly kings, would like to have people submit voluntarily. Mm-hmm. But our king will not force us to mm. submit. He will let us have our own way, and we will destroy ourselves if we choose that. Mm-hmm. But the more that we come to know him and he draws us, the more we see how great he is, mm. the more we see our poverty of spirit, which just shows that his word is more true and makes us want to revere the king mm-hmm. because we truly see who he is in light of who we are mm-hmm. and how undeserving and poor we are. Mm-hmm. So awesome. I think that's how he does with me anyway. I know he's given you a desire to study and know him more. That's awesome. Anyone else? You know, Eric, when yeah. he says, do not, I love verse 34 of chapter 6, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mm. And I came across a quote about, about five and a half years ago. It says, worry is the thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind that if left unchecked will cut a channel so deep that all other thoughts will be drained out. Mm. So the reason we don't worry is because if we start to worry, that will consume our whole mind all day. Mm. You know, it just stays in the back of your mind, it won't go away, and everything else that you should be thinking about and doing gets drained out. Worry takes over. Mm. And I thought that quote was just such a neat visual, you know, to think about Mm. that thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind that if left unchecked, we'll cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out. And, you know, we can do that. You start worrying about mm. something, well, what happens? Mm. You know, that's all you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. And you don't, you're not conscious of your blessings. You're not conscious of what else you should be doing. Mm. You know, it just takes over. And that was very helpful to me at a time when I, you know, could have worried a whole lot. I came across that, and I thought that was so good. Mm. to just fight that, to not go there, mm. not let worry start to trickle through your mind because it will take over. And I love, he says, each day has enough trouble with its own, to which yeah. everyone says, amen. <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. each day brings stuff you could worry about. Mm. Um, but, you know, I just thought that was a neat quote. And I uh, thought I'd share that. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just for the sake of time, we're going to keep moving here to, to chapter 7. So um, here um, in chapter 7, the um, really we're going to see not only where the kingdom citizen is and how he lives, but ultimately where he goes to the destiny of the kingdom citizen. That's that blank on your outline, that destiny of the kingdom citizen. Um, and here's where the kingdom citizen is now, where they will be um, for all of eternity as well. The kingdom citizen dwells with their king. That's the next blank on your outline. The kingdom citizen dwells with their king. <clears throat> so um, here we have first the, the standard of, um, you know, what, 
we do, right? Um, do we, you know, how we judge? And this is, you know, often quoted in Matthew 7 here to say, hey, I can't judge anyone, right? I can't say anything is right or wrong um, in this world. You know, who am I to judge? I'm going to be judged too, right? You know, um, judge not, least you not be judged. They just stop at verse 1. Um, and Jesus' point here, you know, he's talking to people who um, would condemn others based off of their own, you know, ideas, their own kind of commandments, right? Especially the Pharisees, um, you know, they had their idea of what the law should look like in practice in every Israelite's life. And they put that into a Mishnah, you know, a hedge around the law. And they, they wanted all of these things to um, line up in certain ways. And if you didn't do it, hey, you're, you're judged, right? Um, but uh, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So guess what? All those Pharisees, they will be judged by those things. And we can be that way too sometimes. We can look at someone and see what they're doing and assume, right? Oh, it must be this way. It must be, you know, like that. And boom, we've just made a judgment that, hey, we're going to be judged by as well. Um, why do you see the speck that is in your... Oh, go ahead. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of a fine line, but I hear this a lot mm -hmm. when, when non-believers talk about judgment. You know, mm -hmm. don't judge me, judge not, lest you be judged. I yeah. don't think it's written exactly like that in the Bible mm -hmm. because we are told to judge the behaviors of other believers and reel them in when they need to. So this is this, this blank slate of, hey, I can do anything I want. Don't you judge me, mm -hmm. you know. That's not what the Bible says. No. How do you reconcile 6 7 with that? It's a great question. Chapter 6, you mean? Oh, the, or the? Uh, 7 6. Do not give dog what it's sacred. Do not throw your pearl to pigs. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So you have to understand your audience. Right. So there are some people that you are wasting your time talking to because they are blind and they are deaf and they have already cast their lot with Satan. So what they're saying is don't throw yourself into that person because mm. they will trample you or they will rend you or they will whatever. You gotta know you gotta know who you were brought alongside. You gotta know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So mm. it's like don't disregard these people. Right. But don't feel like it's your mission to save each and every person. Mm. And don't feel like, well, I can't judge them because the Bible says I can't. No, mm. that's not what it says. Right. God makes a lot of judgments in his words. So, yes, Marv. Yeah, that, I mean, the deal in context when he talks about the speck, uh, don't, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye, but notice the log in your own. Mm -hmm. The whole idea behind this is don't judge hypocritically. Right, yes. Don't be a hypocritical judge. And this is uh, the most misused, or one of the most misused verses Totally. So it's all about judging. Don't judge hypocritically. Yes. We all have to make judgments on everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the way I look at it, mm -hmm. I, if I look at you and I say, you know, I don't like what you do, therefore you're a bad person. Right. That's wrong. That's judging. Mm -hmm. But if I say, you know, what you're doing is not right, and I'm kind about how I explain that, then that's not wrong. Right. Speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, words can be so nice, and we can be so diplomatic about saying yeah. calling people out. But the Lord will judge us in the way we call out people and say, "Look, did I do that because I care for that guy? Looking at me as a sinner, him also as a sinner. Mm. But in, in this context, clearly he has done something wrong, and I, in my heart, I care for him. I mean, it's just you know, call him out. I think it's." it's Spirit of God and it's grace, grace for every opportunity that, that we have. I think when we sit down and we ask 
deliver not me from temptation. It's the same. Let me not be tempted to call me myself a better hypocrite than him. Mm. Yeah. That's the yeah. I think I think when you go to the fine line, it really goes down to what's in our heart. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Edgar, I think it is the first section is trying to prepare your heart for for not to be the hypocrite, but I do have I am still trying to wrap my head around the second part of that about how do you recognize who is a dog? And that's an overall, uh, a, a greater, more encompassing statement of almost like Sean says it all. Mm. Uh, you, don't, you don't know who's the dog, who is the pig, and, and it's, don't, it's almost like don't waste your breath. That's really interesting. You know, and actually later, you know, again, like you were saying, Tim, con context, and we're going to get into some of those details a little bit more with uh, verse 15 and following. You know, you're, you're going to be able to see, all, all. we can't see, we don't have Holy Spirit classes, right? We can't, you know, see, hey, who is and who isn't. But we can be fruit inspectors. You can see what's going on on the outside, right? Um, using God's standards, applying them to yourself first, like Marva's saying, right? And, and seeing, hey, where am I wrong? And then you can speak the truth in love, right? And that motivation of love, like, you're saying, Reuben, where you're seeking to build a person up, right? Sometimes we just want to tear people down to make yourself feel better, right? And, and that's not what we should do. Instead, we need to see what's wrong according to the Bible's clear judgments, clear standards, apply them to ourselves, and then go to that person in love and try to help them understand where they err. But yeah, Pastor Jerry. I'm just going to say, in, uh, in verse 2 is very key. Uh, it's by your standard of measure. Hmm. It's not a biblical standard. And, of course, a, a great picture of that was the Pharisees, hmm. that they often judged people, even Christ, hmm. not based upon the word of God, hmm. as Dave was talking about, hmm. but based upon the standards that they created yeah. for what is spirituality and what is an official stu uh, uh, citizen of the kingdom. Hmm. And so they were using their own standards. That's what he was referring to, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's hypocrisy because they were disobeying God's law mm -hmm. while they were judging others. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the the disciples, well, you know, when they were eating the grain mm -hmm. and they weren't doing going mm -hmm. through the ceremonial washings, mm -hmm. you know, why do your disciples disobey the traditions of the elders? That's a perfect picture mm -hmm. of judging according to your standards. Mm -hmm. God didn't create that; mm -hmm. you did. And then you're judging a person based on that standard. Yeah. Hmm. And so that's what he's trying to get them to avoid. And that was running rampant. With, matter of fact, we could not, if you meant absolute no judgment, church could never, never practice church discipline. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Because yeah. you have to use, but what are you measuring that person against? The standard of God's word, yeah. not our own created standards. And hmm. I think that's the, that's the trouble that we get in today is even in the, in the church, sometimes we create a standard. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, I think he's lost. He doesn't drop the prayer meeting. You know, yeah, that's really good. Fantastic. So uh, just to continue on here, great discussion. Um, ask, it will be given to you. Seeking, you'll find. Knock, it will be open. Right? Think about your father who sees you, you know, as a kingdom citizen, seeking to do the, his will. Right? Um, he's going to give you what you need to be able to do that, right? Um, even, you know, you who are evil give good gifts to your children. Guess what? Argument from lesser to greater in the same way. Um, you know, hey, if one of you um, has a son who asks for bread, will you give him a stone? No, of course not. Um, fish, serpent, no way. Um, but how much more, right? 
um, will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him, right? So just go before him and ask him for what you need. Um, he, he's listening. Uh, obviously, um, this, this one is really, really key to, um, you know, what, um, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. This is like on repeat in our household with our kids, right? Hey, would you want someone to come up to you and push you over? No, then don't do that to your sister, right? But, you know, it sounds simple, but you know, even for our lives too, this is, this is profound. We need to think about that and weigh our actions, right? Hey, you know, are we doing to others what we would have them do to you? And he hangs a lot of weight on this. For this is the law and the prophets, right? Hey, if you're doing this, you're going to be loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, this, is, this is really critical, a golden rule there. And here we kind of see some of this distinction start, um, Tim, you know, kind of being able to see the, just the differences, right, between, um, hey, you know, those who bear a certain type of fruit and those who don't. Enter by the narrow gate, right? There's a kind of a contrast, several contrasts he's going to bring up in this chapter. A narrow gate um, versus a wide gate. Right? So you've got narrow versus wide. Um, the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, but the na- gate is narrow, rather. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So um, there's kind of this distinction being drawn between these two paths. This is something deep built into um, the Old Testament, right? These two paths you can go. Um, Blessed is the man, right, in Psalm 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? So there's this evil path he could go down, but he doesn't. Instead, he delights in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night, right? And so these kind of two different paths. And then guess what? Um, Another another analogy he uses in Psalm 1 is he shall be like a tree, right, being planted by streams of water. So in um, verse 15 here, beware false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits, right? Um, they get, are get grapes gathered from thorn bushes or uh, figs from thistles. Every tree that bears good fruit, um, or every healthy tree rather bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit, right? Um, so you can tell them by their fruits, right? At the end of the day, what comes out? Is it the fruit of the Spirit, right? Remember what we talked about in the first place is this transformation that has to take place in our hearts to be a kingdom citizen. Is it this love, joy, peace that can only ultimately come from God that comes out of a person? Not perfectly, but progressively, right? Um, or is it just none of that and just the regular things you see in this world, the deeds of the flesh that you see right before in Galatians 5? Um, so um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's not about works, right? These people did awesome works. Did I not prophesy in your name? I've never prophesied. Cast out demons? I've never done that. Or done many mighty works in your name, right? How about all these deeds we did before you? But guess what? Here's the key problem. I never knew you, right? Um, He never knew Christ, had that eternal life of really knowing the king, the only way, the truth, and the life, right? Um, This is kind of, again, that distinction there. Um, and, And another analogy on this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And you're only able to do them, right, because of who you are, um, because of what Christ has done for you. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, built his house on the sand. And, And great was the fall of that house. And the Crowds are astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching them as one who had, what? Authority, right? He is the one who has the real authority, the real corner on life. This is the owner's manual for who you are, right? And the real way to happiness and blessing, right? And this man, he did not 
appeal back to previous rabbis or scribes or anything. He just took the law and showed them the fulfillment of it, the exact way it was pointing. Why? Because he's the author, right? He knows exactly where this is all going, and he is your author as well. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And this whole block of teaching here, it's profound, and it shows us who we are as people and shows us the way to true life. So um, the discussion question I have for us is, how do you want to grow closer to him, right? If we have this destiny with the king, right? If our house is built on that solid rock, we see where we're going. Um, ultimately, to be with him forever, that's who we are, where we are, where we're going. Um, how do we want to grow closer to him in light of that fact, right? Um, you know, things throughout the Sermon on the Mount here or any other kind of thoughts. Just a, just a couple quick, um, quick thoughts because we've got two chapters to cover in about two minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, any, any kind of thoughts on that? Saturate ourselves with the Word. Mm -hmm. It's awesome, Bill. Be with him in his Word. Absolutely. That's great. And, yeah, we can think about that more, too, you know, throughout the week, just in your devotional time. Hey, how do I want to grow closer to him? So um, I'm going to go and give you all the blanks here for, for the narrative, first block of narrative. And I want to just quickly overview this for us. Um, so first of all, the first blank, the king bears his people's afflictions, right? He bears their afflictions. He um, casts out um, demons. He heals um, lepers. He um, heals all these different people. And in verse 17 of chapter 8, um, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases, right? Um, remember that close connection the king has with his people that we talked about in the last week, last week's session. Here we see that being manifest in his sheer care and compassion for people, right? Healing them, caring for them in all these ways. Um, the discussion question, how does Jesus bearing our burdens help us do the same for others, right? Obviously, in Galatians, we're told to or we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? To come alongside, to help. Obviously, we can't do that on our own strength, though, right? He is the one who did that for us. Therefore, we can help others, right? And we can come alongside them and, and help them in a compassionate way. And that's a lot about chapter 9 here. The king's compassion leads to evangelism, right? Because here we have in chapter 9 um, wonderful accounts of awesome works that Jesus is doing. Um, but I want to just highlight briefly um, in the very last section of chapter 9 here, verse 35 and following. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And look at what he sees. When he saw the crowds, how does Jesus see them? Okay, more work for me today. I'm not going to bed anytime soon. No, instead he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Guys, you remember who you were before you came to know the Lord? You were in chains. You were shackled to that. You were dead in your trespasses. You had no way of getting out, right? Look with those eyes on the people around you. See with our Lord's eyes of compassion, right? And the discussion question is, how do you view unbelievers? That's the blank on that outline there. How do you view unbelievers? And it's interesting what our Lord does with these eyes of compassion, how he views these people who don't know him. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what do you do? Go out and work? Go, go share the gospel? No, he stops at something else first before he does that, which we'll get to next week. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Remember, this is about who you are, 
There's only one who can change a heart. There's only one who can give them the new spirit, give these people what they need. It is the Lord of the harvest, right? Um, he is the only one. Therefore, pray. And guess what? As you start praying this way, you might also want to go out and enter into that harvest as well, right? Uh, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, Lord. I pray that we'd be those who continue diligently in prayer to you, Lord, who see, um, Lord, who you have made us to be, and, Lord, that we'd be that light who shines, that we would fulfill that purpose for which we are still here on earth, Lord, that we would um, help others to know you as Lord and Savior, that we'd look on unbelievers with compassion, that we'd help each other, Lord, to grow towards you. And Lord, all this is possible because of what you did on our behalf, because you won the victory, Lord, because you are the conquering king. And Lord, I pray that we'd make your glory known until that day, Lord, when finally you will return, establish your kingdom, your name will be revered as holy, Lord, over the whole earth. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.